I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's going on, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins coming back at you with another Q5 podcast episode. I've got a special guest on here today with me. Benjamin Greensweig is a seasoned events veteran, entrepreneur, and the founder of Momentum Events with a deep passion for destigmatizing the conversation on both the diagnosis and treatment of mental health, including especially psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Ben served as the executive producer of Psychedelic Science 2023, the world's largest psychedelics conference, and Momentum Events proudly played the role of show organizer. Open about his personal wellness journey, Ben passionately believes that everyone has the right to find their mental health balance, and he works tirelessly to create learning and community-building opportunities that can open minds and change hearts. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Doc. It sounds so much better when you read it. <laughs> I do my best. I read I read good. I like it. I read good. <laughs> you read good. Yeah, so we're doing this Q5 thing where I ask people five of my favorite questions for preparation for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy in my practice. So let's get rolling with question one. What's your story, Ben? Yeah, well, listen, million ways to answer that question, but I think for this audience and this theme, I'd like to say that my story is a very common one in many ways. I had battled mental health issues for virtually my entire life. I was diagnosed with PTSD, general anxiety disorder, a major depressive disorder, and it was not a result of any real known traumas. And so this was the diagnosis and it just left me sort of a very broken human being. I had certainly danced much more than I ever wished my enemies to with certainly self-harm and worse. And I've had a lot of external factors over the past 10, 15 years that unfortunately were triggers that pushed all these buttons and pushed me pretty down and, and pretty low and pretty hard. And, and trying to overcome these challenges, I first tried all the unhealthy habits, like most of us probably do at first, and I tried to drown them in whatever I could drink. And surprise, surprise, it didn't work, uh, made it worse. And then I tried talk therapy, and uh, I didn't have a lot of success for a whole bunch of reasons. And then, you know, I was a 
you know, I, I'm 45 years old. I grew up in the just say no dare generation. I didn't do any drugs at all as a kid in college. I, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. You know, I was the right person. Drugs are bad. And, and also, if you have a mental health problem as a man, you keep that to yourself. You don't talk about it. You be strong. Medicine is for the weak. You don't do that. And I believed it. And so, you know, when I talk about self-medication, which didn't work, and I talk about talk therapy didn't work. I then finally went on some Western medicine. I uh, had some mixed results with that as well. But I had a moment where I had just enough clarity, and maybe it was the medicine or the placebo effect or some combination, where I realized that I got to figure this out because I'm not going to get help from anywhere. I'm going to have to find help myself. I started looking up books, and this is back in 2018. And I stumbled upon Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, like many others. And I consumed that book doc in four days flat. And with each page I read, I was like, wow, that's me. That's me. Wait, oh my gosh, that, that's, that's kind of how I feel. And so I'm dealing with so many challenges. Of, of, of I launched Momentum 10 years ago, and we did not have an easy launch by any way, shape, or form. My business partner, who I launched this business with, he died tragically. He had a very rare form of brain cancer back in 2017, so I lost a partner. And then the regular challenges of, of, of running a business on top of everything else, so I was getting hit from all sides. And so when I found this book, and I just consumed every word of it, I began to believe, hey, this this is something that, 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 can, that can help me, but... Going back to that dare generation, I didn't just go do drugs. I spent the next 10 months researching everything I could about psychedelic therapy. I watched TED Talks. I read research papers. I read articles. And then I started cold calling all of these industry leaders in the industry, asking them just to talk to me. You know, I called Roland Griffiths. I called, you know, I spoke to Rick Doblin. I called uh, George and Katya, who used to run Compass Pathways, and Jay Oliver and MindMed, and Pete Hendricks, Alabama, and Matt Johnson. And I just started calling them and said, hey, can you just tell me what you're working on here? And listen, I'm a sales guy, so it was liberating to call someone and not sell them something. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I just want to talk. And they were all so generous with their time. In the tail end of 2018, I had just I spoke to my wife, who was very supportive, and I realized that I had this calling that that psychedelic therapy was was going to help me. It was going to help me break this horrible cycle I was living in. And so I found an underground guide, and I had my consult in December, and my treatment was scheduled for March 4th, 2020. Yep, just a few days before the world completely shut down. But I did indeed go forward with my treatment. And it was painful, it was uncomfortable, it was unpleasant, but it was extraordinarily cathartic and successful. And I was able to accomplish so much healing and understand what was dragging me down under the surface. And apart from the integration and this new life that I have was gifted, I realized that I wanted to dedicate my life to making these medicines safe, affordable, and accessible to anyone who seeks them. And my spiritual gifts were conferences, media, trade show, and events. And so I did what I could uh, to produce conferences and events to bring people together to advance these medicines. And in 2021, we were selected by MAPS to be the organizing partner and I, the executive producer of Psych Science 23. So calling herd 
And uh, we executed, obviously, this past June. But during that time, I had another MDMA weekend treatment with a different guide and a different set and setting. And it was even more transformational and successful. And so my backstory, and there's a lot of ways that, you know, this can be answered. I was on the outside looking in. You know, I was the no drugs and, and, and man up and muscle up and men and entrepreneurs and CEOs and fathers. You don't do this stuff. Suck it up. Drink a beer and get over it. And realizing that I, I, I deserve to find mental health balance and get myself healed. And so that's a moderate version, a moderate monologue version of my backstory, Doug. Well, that sounds like a real uh, transformational story to me that could resonate with, you know, millions of American men. And I'm sure we'll get there. But in terms of where this puts my focus and, and the amount of messages that I get, and I'm very vocal on LinkedIn, I do generally believe that social media is a tool of the devil. And I don't mean that in some fire and brimstone service. I do generally believe that it does more harm than good. It doesn't mean that it's not good. But I limit my comments and my posts to LinkedIn. And I post very publicly about my battles and what I have experienced and where I am and what I do. And the amount of people that have reached out who have had similar challenges and journeys and want to learn more, 85% of the people in this country have never had a psychedelic experience, which means almost eight and a half out of 10 people either don't know anything or know a little. And these are people, the vast majority of which are caregivers, are trauma survivors, and there needs to be a better way than what we've been doing because what we've been doing doesn't work very well. And that's evidenced by so many statistics. I know we just came off of a record year for suicides. And you certainly know better than I, you know, the horrifying statistics of, I think it's a, a plane load, a plane load of passengers, I believe, die every day of, of overdose and the veteran suicide rate. And this doesn't even talk about depression and anxiety. And you move into eating disorders and we got a lot of problems and this is a tool that's not for everybody, but this tool works and that's my passion. Yeah. You know, you talk about the statistics and all of those statistics correspond to stories. My family and I went back to Fort Campbell recently to visit some friends and my daughter's starting her freshman year of high school and she reconnected with a friend and my wife was talking to the mom and they were just sharing notes about the old school that she went to. And there were, I forget the exact number. It was like three or four teenage girls that had committed suicide in the middle school there near post. And it just, it boggles my mind. Like you talked about how social media can be, you know, it's a two edged sword at best. There are days that I look at it and reconnect with friends halfway across the planet, just as easily as somebody that's down the hallway. And there are other days that I see so much garbage on there that I'd crawl through a mile of broken glass to push the off switch on that thing. You know, it's just <laughs> kind of all over the place, but you were alluding to, uh, I think the next question that I was going to ask you, the, the, what's your story question has more to do with memory and where you're coming from and, and who you are and what you're carrying. And the mm -hmm. second question, question is, what are your intentions? What do you imagine yourself and foresee? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Well, it's funny. I think between the two of us, you've had a lot more experience than me crawling through broken glass. So your words probably have a lot more weight. You know, I'm wearing a shirt, which I'll stand up here from great company, Mental Joe. I know you know them pretty well here. And the shirt says, bad day, not a bad life. Man, it's such an easy statement and it's so hard to believe it, especially when you're in the soup and you just, everything looks bleak and tough. And one of the posts I wrote years ago was, was trying to explain to somebody 
what it's like to be suicidal, which I was many times. And the comp, you know, for people who don't understand it, it's, you know, people who, who go through who are successful with self-harm, you know, typically it's they weren't strong enough. And, and I understand why people say that. Like, I get it, because what else can you say when that happens? But what I try to explain from my own experiences is you get caught in this vicious trap, at least for me. And, and I think it's a similar pattern, but different stories for other individuals. You know, those are combat survivors, those that have experienced other traumas in their life, as another example. But you replay things in your mind. And because you can't accept them and release them, you constantly relive these moments in your life that are always the bad decisions. You never look at the good choices you've made, right? And you get stuck in this loop where you would do anything to do things differently because you're in so much pain as a result of those actions. Now, you might not have intended yourself pain, but it could be I turned left instead of turning right and turning left led me into that building and that building led me into something, right? The regret is I should have turned right. Oh my God, my life would have been better if I turned right. So you have all these experiences that just play on loop and then the loop pushes you down because you feel hopeless and you have despair and you feel ashamed and embarrassed and now the pain starts and the pain pushes you further down and then you're like oh my gosh i'm in so much pain why am i in so much pain oh because i should have turned right instead of left and you get caught in the cycle and the only way to stop those thoughts for some is self-harm because you can't stop those thoughts and usually those thoughts are there are times not even rooted in the trauma that you're remembering right? It's connected to traumas that might have happened before that didn't that did not provide a good foundation for you to handle those other traumas in your life. I was talking to a, a, another veteran who has a, um, a nonprofit, Veterans of War. He was telling me how he had PTSD and he had his issues. And, you know, for someone who didn't serve, the first question is, what did you see? You know, what can you explain what happened? And he's like, listen, you know, I saw stuff, but this is my childhood that set all of that up, right? So you get caught in a situation where, at least in my case, you almost don't feel worthy to complain about your traumas because there are people who have seen and been through really bad stuff. And my bad stuff is someone else's awful stuff and someone else's easy peasy, I did all fine with it stuff. But my purpose, my intentions, and the reason for all that story is I feel individuals' pain when they are suffering, because I have suffered for such a long part of my life. And, it, and suffering is complicated. It's not easy. You have lived trauma, you have repressed memories, you have inherited trauma, you have nature, you have nurture. And all of our conventional treatments, on average, really don't work. And if people sit here and say, what do you mean they don't work? You just have to look at the mental health diagnosis and the depression and the unhappiness and then the self-harm and the suit. Nothing has been trending in the right direction for a long time. So what we are doing is not working. So my mission, my intentions is to do whatever I can to lower the barriers for individuals to get access to safe, affordable an accessible psychedelic assisted therapy that's not just financial although that's a part it's hearts and minds it's talking to people who question i'm the dare generation i can't do drugs or i'm a practitioner how do i get into this so i want to lower all the barriers for people who want 
and feel that they deserve the need to be healed. So healing is my passion and those are my intentions. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. The worst day of your life is the worst day of your life, and the worst day of my life is the worst day of my life, and we wind up carrying those days in very similar ways, regardless of the stories of what events occurred on those days. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you're looking to try to lower those barriers to people being able to integrate the worst days of their lives and carry them forward in a way that makes them a whole lot lighter uh, and more manageable. You know, it was uh, Sean Ryan did a podcast with Tyler Gray who was a CAG guy, a Delta guy, and they, they wind up having two episodes where they talk through a lot of his life story. And there's that, that trauma bonding that takes place in the military. It's right. kind of what drives people into it. In the first place is maybe some of the stuff that was going on in their childhood. There's all of that shared culture that you can make sense of, and then you have a mission to go on together. Being able to integrate that, you know, those childhood chapters and the combat chapters or the culture war chapters or whatever it might be for each one of us. Like, I think we can all kind of get side by side on the exact same intentions that you're setting if we harmonize a little bit ahead of time. Well, and to that point, Doc, and I didn't mean to, to, to try to step on you earlier, but another complexity is you and someone else, you and I could experience the same exact trauma and obviously have completely different reactions and responses. And in many ways, we don't know why. Right. And so that makes it even more complicated, because if you react one way to a situation and I react the other way to a situation, you're a doc. Both of us are going to present similarly to a treating physician and we might get prescribed the same course of treatment. But how we got there and how we reacted to it goes so deep into the, the secrets of the mind and the soul that it's impossible to be necessarily prescribed away. And that just adds to a complexity as a barrier to treatment. Yeah, I agree completely. So, you know, the third question that I like to ask is around, what are you grateful for? And the reason for that is it's sort of a bridge. We talked about your past and we're looking ahead to what there is in the future and what's going to give you that momentum to get you towards your intentions is I think gratefulness, I the, a superpower the there. Nod, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little plug for you. When I came through my last treatment, which was MDMA-assisted therapy, one of the things I came out of that treatment with was being grateful to all the people that harmed me in my life. It caught me by surprise as well because there was a lot of harm done in a lot of ways in my life. And the reason why I was grateful for them is because them pushing me so low and so close to the edge allowed two unbelievable things to happen in my life. Number one, Jesus Christ saved me. I was born and raised Jewish. My mental health and my despair, because I did not have a strong faith foundation. The religion never felt comfortable to me. It was not highly reinforced in my house. Moved me into a world of becoming an agnostic which as the old joke goes, is an atheist that just wants to be safe. That then led me to becoming an atheist. 
And when you have all these mental health challenges in your life and you have no faith and foundation to stand on, you so easily succumb. You know, for those that are that, that are Christ followers like myself, you know, my feet were not on the rock. I won't even say I was on quicksand. I was on moving particles is how quickly and easily I fell. The very first thing that got me on the path to healing was falling so far and almost at the end and being saved by Jesus Christ. And so the gratitude toward those who harm me leads to the gratitude I have to Jesus for saving my life, for God to choose the moments that he chose to awaken me, for God to put my wife and my family and my close friends in my life to just make sure I didn't slip below the surface when things were really rough to get me through the next day, and then grateful for these medicines that exist, in my opinion, by God's hand, to help others that need more to overcome their struggles. So it's a unconventional gratitude chain, I would say, but it's a healthier way for me to live and it brings me peace and it allows me to focus on where I am and not look so much on where I've been. And that's where integration comes in. Yeah, it's a a mind-boggling statement from the perspective of someone who's still struggling and suffering and disintegrated to hear somebody say, I'm grateful for the people that harmed me and the harm that I've endured. At the same time, it's, it's a theme that I hear over and over again from people in integration work after having done some kind of psychedelic assisted therapy. It's not an uncommon theme that you're experiencing there. It's just that not everybody's listening to these conversations like you and I are having. And because of the, the barriers that you mentioned earlier, it's harder for people to find out that this is, that this is out there and that hopefully soon it'll be legal and we'll be able to provide it to all those people who just can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to say the sorts of things that you just said. Thank you. And, and the barriers you talk about, we can't minimize how many there are. And that's why it's so important for, and you know, you play many roles in your service to other humans in every capacity, not just in your service, not just in your practice, not just as a husband, not just as a friend or father or brother, and even this podcast and what you're trying to do with your book. And it's an important conversation because the percentage of people who are inside the movement and I don't mean, the, you know, I'm not talking about a political movement, the psychedelic movement. It is such a small percentage compared to all of those who are on the outside. And you talk about there's an education gap, there's a cultural gap, there's a religious gap, there's a racial gap, there's a political gap, there's a geographical gap, there's an econo economic gap. All these gaps exist. But if I could relate it back to what I'm grateful for. So... I try very hard to read my Bible every day. I read my devotional every day and I read my Bible most days. And I'm just, I'm being, I'm not being a hypocrite and being honest. Most days I do. I get through, you know, chapter few verses, but I really enjoy it. And I have a lot of appreciation for it because for many reasons, I'm reading it for the first time. So I'm new still. My transformation happened back in 2014. I was baptized in the summer of 21. 
So I'm still relatively new to my faith. But this is something that for those who listen that are struggling to understand how do you get to a position of gratefulness, this is Romans chapter 5. And I I took a picture because I highlighted uh, yesterday morning. Uh, I'm in verse 3. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One of the things that that my pastor talks about uh, in my church is there is purpose in suffering. And I could tell you from living and suffering for so long and not having any idea what the purpose was, it's a hard pill to swallow. But the message here is there's a purpose for it. And in the Bible, the suffering brings you closer to God and to Jesus. And if you're not a Christ follower or you're not religious, maybe your purpose of your suffering brings you closer to finding your healing for yourself or a loved one. So, yeah, it's a hard concept, and I'd be lying if I told you and your audience that it's easy, and I've been living this way my whole life. But even now, you know, rough day the other day, it might be a rough day tomorrow, have to figure out what's the point of the suffering. But there's a purpose. It's beautiful. So with all your memories and all your intentions and everything that you're grateful for, what are you creating? I am creating content in the form of trade shows, conferences, events, media that appeal to that 80%, that 85% of people in this country for now that are on the outside looking in. And it's content that has to be created in a way that is not evangelizing. It's important for this movement to not talk about psychedelics as the magical pill or ketamine as the one treatment you'll get and you're great forever. Healing is not a destination. It's it's a journey. And that took me a long time to realize it. You don't get healed. <laughs> Poof. Because every day you have different challenges in different areas of your life. And so I want to create education, community building, networking opportunities for the entire ecosystem, right? What does that mean? Yes, you're scientists and you're clinicians and you're entrepreneurs and you're investors and you're caregivers and you're faith-based leaders and you're indigenous communities and you're veterans and you're first responders and you're trauma survivors and more the people who I feel have come up with the just say no generation because it's it's a very large roadblock. And so how do you let someone know that it's okay to have these thoughts and it's okay to know that there are medicines that exist that might actually help and you're not going to get holes in your brain like Oprah Winfrey said on 35, 40 years ago, which of course was proven to be a complete and utter lie, you know, that was portrayed there. Maybe we can say perhaps to drugs instead of just no. Perhaps. Well, you know what? Perhaps to drugs. And then how do you consider drugs not drugs and maybe you consider them like I do medicines? Drugs is kind of a diminutive term. It's kind of dismissive. I don't like it either. But uh, that was the way we got raised, right? We got to integrate it somehow. That's exactly right. Drugs, medicines. How do you use these therapies? And, you know, as I'm sure, you know, you very well know from from your own experiences, the, the actual medicine, the psychedelic or the empathogen, whatever it is you're doing I try to explain to people, again, going back to those who are on the outside looking in, that the psychedelics 
You know, if I want to take my truck down to the beach, I need two things for that to happen. I need a truck and I need gasoline. One or the other isn't going to work, right? So in many ways, I explain that in my opinion. You know, the psychedelics are the gasoline. It's what you do after you've been unlocked and freed in the therapy, in the integration. That's where your true healing really comes. So even if you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to take these pills and lose my mind, it, A, it doesn't really work like that. I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, we know there's always the point, oh, oh, whatever, I'm not dismissing it. Everything has a risk to it. Important to know your risk profile. But it's the work is really done afterwards. This just makes it easier on you to get to the work. And if people don't understand what that means, if you're sitting there struggling right now and you've had talk therapy and you feel it has gotten nowhere, that is exactly what I mean, that the psychedelics and the medicines help you make that work actually become more effective. So I think that's the perhaps try drugs. Amen. So that brings us to our final question, Q5. Who are you really? <sighs> Who am I really? Wow. You know, it's funny. I read your questions and I decided to not purposely put a lot of thought into them because I wanted to be organic. I have nothing written, nothing guiding me in any of this. I'm a child of God, just like every single brother and sister on this planet. And I feel best when I help. I know that when I'm having a rough day at work, and there are rough days at work, if I could do something good, if I could have a conversation, if I could make someone's day a little bit easier, show a little kindness, talk to someone like this, that almost erases, if not fully erases, the negativity of the day. So... I feel that I am blessed to be here at this time, grateful for the real struggles I've gone through that got me here to talk to others and break down stigmas about admitting and talking about a variety of mental health struggles, but then helping talking about a variety of modalities and treatments and let people know that you don't need to just accept feeling like garbage, feeling worthless, feeling down because nothing else has worked. Because I guarantee there are things that are out there that you have not been able to try or experience. So don't give up hope. It might be a bad day, but it's not a bad life. Preach. <laughs> you got any final thoughts for all the anti-heroes hanging out out there? <sighs> The final thoughts are, for some time we have found ourselves in a desensitized world. Authenticity is very hard to come by. The minute the world went digital, everything could be faked. Just the reality of it. This entire conversation, for anyone who wants to know, could be completely manufactured through AI. Could be. <laughs> Every time AI has a fever dream, it dreams of being us. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully not enslaving us. There is a gift for those who share the passion, who have been healed by the medicine or heal with the medicine, to talk very open about their journey. Because you don't know what level of authenticity is going to resonate with someone listening. There was a long period of my time, and again, I... I Jesus saved my life in 2014. There was a long period of time people closest to me did not know I was a Christ follower. I was embarrassed. 
you know, I was raised Jewish and I had this conversion and did I now become this, you know, this weird outcast? And I had to overcome that because it dovetailed into other issues that I had to deal with. And now I sit here not to evangelize, not to preach, but maybe there's someone listening who has been a Christ follower longer or shorter than me, who has grown up knowing that drugs are bad. And for, for good purposes, maybe someone they know overdosed. Maybe mom and dad would smoke weed a lot and they would not engage in very legitimate reasons. But maybe they're, want, this message can get to one person who can open up that door and maybe read Michael Pollan or listen to more of your podcasts or listen over to George Monty and, and True Life and others and just be like, okay, I don't need to feel this way or my son doesn't need to feel this way or my mother or my daughter or my brother. And the more authentic we can be, the better chance you have of hopefully resonating with someone. And, and I do want to close on my side by saying I'm grateful to you, Doc. And we've gotten to know each other a little bit and we're going to be doing some fun stuff together in your backyard in the not too distant future. And I don't ever want you to minimize your role in this conversation because I, I've heard enough of you to know how humble and, and how you feel and act in this world. And I and others are grateful to you for this forum. And I'm, I'm very thankful. And I don't want to close this out without saying that to you. Ben Greenswag, everyone. Trying to make me cry at the end of the podcast. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Doc out.